Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beachler of Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beachler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey, good morning, Central Illinois. It's the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. I'm Greg McCoy, your co-host with the star of the show, Brett Beachler. Good morning, Greg. How are you doing? Fantastic. Yourself? Good. You're looking good. Uh, you Thank you. have been out in California, is that correct? Yes. Uh, flew out there last week. Uh, every year we have, we belong to a like a 20-group type uh, group. It's called Elite uh, Worldwide. And there's actually 90 automotive shops involved in this, and they're throughout the country of the United States and about a half dozen from Canada. Uh, we've got a business coach. Um, there's a gentleman that owns a company. We view, as, view it as an investment. Uh, two things. When you're in the world of independent business and any business, uh, if you're not reaching out to other, uh, I would say, smarter than you, but other intelligent business owners and wise business owners, um, you're not going to keep your tools sharp. You're not going to stay on the cutting edge of your industry, uh, knowing what's on the horizon, what's coming up. Um, so we really enjoy it. We've got uh, a bunch of face-to-face meetings we do throughout the year, actually only three, but about uh, six online WebEx meetings, and then I've got a gentleman uh, out of Toledo that he and I are really good friends, talk several times a week um, just about business and philosophies and how to do things and how to get better at things, So, but really enjoy it, but I've got some tidbits from the meeting that I might want to share with some folks, and um, I view it as pretty valuable for people so they can kind of understand the big picture of what's going on in the automotive world and uh, the oil world, I guess. So one of the ones I, I really hit on with folks when they walk in our door is we, our big philosophy when we're uh, uh, maintaining cars is to be able to f- for the customer to keep the car as long as they possibly can. Our, our end goal, typically, we throw a number out there to folks, is 250,000 miles. Um, the main reason for that is depreciation on the car and, and the tremendous hit that people take uh, going from keeping a car 75,000 miles, which typically – on a 20,000-mile car is about $0.09 cents a mile. If you're able to keep that 20,000-mile car 250,000 miles, it goes down to about $0.09 cents a mile. Tremendous, tremendous change in that uh, that cost per operating mile of a vehicle. So, so what, act- are, what are those two costs again? So you've got uh, if you maintain if you keep a car 75,000 miles, a $20,000 car, it's around $0.09 cents – or I'm sorry, $0.23 cents a mile in depreciation. If you're able to keep it and maintain it uh, 250,000 miles, that number drastically is reduced down to about $0.09 cents per mile. Now, is that just depreciation or is that total operating That's cost? just depreciation um, itself. Um, obviously, you have a, a little bit higher maintenance cost going the 250,000 miles versus the 75,000 miles, but it is pennies on the dollars um, when you compare the two. Uh, hands down, you're much better off spending 50 to to $100 a month on average uh, in maintenance and repair costs on cars versus a three to $500 a month car payment. Mm-hmm. And that's really the philosophy we drive. It's, it's not about, it's not about the, uh, the, uh, the, the hourly rate at a shop. It is truly about how much the shop charges you to maintain that car per mile. That's what it boils down to. So uh, one of the interesting 
pieces of advice or information out there was the average sale price of a vehicle in 2015 is up to $33,189. Now, I think the, the most people can agree that's that's a that's a pretty substantial number. Um, is it a super high cost? Well, I mean, relative to 30 years ago, yeah, it's a pretty high cost. So the, the point being is once you invest that 33189 or less if you're out there buying a quality used car, just maintain and repair that car for as long as you possibly can so you can get the most out of your investment. So I think in your book you made a statement that the cheapest car is the one that's in your, in your driveway. Absolutely right. <laughs> it is rather inexpensive. You know, I've heard people, you know, even when the gas prices went up to $3 a gallon, I've heard people, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and unload my SUV and go, you know, that's worth five to $8,000. And I'm going to go buy a car that gets me 35 miles a gallon for $30,000. The numbers simply just didn't play out. Uh, you're better off keeping, maintaining your car. If you like to have a little extra money in your wallet, you're better off keeping your car for as long as you possibly can. And trust me, we've retired customers' cars before. Um, it happens. We do the analysis on it. Uh, they come in, they, they've got a laundry list of items to do on the car, the frame, the substructure, the structure of the car is getting to be very rusted, and we say, look, it's it's time to pull the plug. Um, so we're not averse at all to giving people advice like that because we're, we're looking out for the customer in the end. We're not necessarily looking out for our bottom line. So you're not shooting for a million miles per uh, car? Like no, that. I mean, yeah, there's cars out there. There are, you know, diesel trucks that have come in our place that have had five, six, seven hundred thousand 700,000 miles on them, but they've had, you know, engine overhauls and, um, strategies like that to be able to maintain them for that long. And it's not unheard of to have a semi go over a million, mi- million miles. So is it possible? Absolutely. Um, I've read stories in our periodicals of customers having gasoline cars, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand miles. Um, but typically they're not race car driver type people. They maintain their car. Uh, it's kept in a garage um, for the most part. So it, it's possible. It's very well possible. 250 is minimum in my book in terms of how many miles people should get out of their cars. The thing you got to fight so many times is the decision to buy a new car many times is not based on economics. You're 100% right. It's emotion. Yes. Somebody gets a new car fever. It's emotion. And, and, and I, I certainly don't at all pick on people that want to buy new cars because there has to be a demographic out there that buys these new cars and takes the, the new car hit. Um, there's, a, there's a market for that. Um, but generally, if you, if you do buy a new car, I would I would completely encourage you to keep it as long as you can, in, in order to maximize your investment in that car. Um, but if that's true, then once you get a car that's got 150, 200 thousand miles on it, is there a point where you can still keep it for around town kind of stuff? But mm-hmm. to take off for a thousand mile trip, uh, you know, it's kind of borderline. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I had a um, I had an online meeting last night, and one of the the aspects we talked about was. Uh, going out and obtaining a rental car uh, when you when you want to go take those long trips to have that peace of mind. Now I myself I've got a, you know two cars over two hundred thousand miles on it. I maintain them. My guys do it. I don't necessarily do it um, because I trust their judgment. It, it is nothing for me to jump in a car. My daughter went to Colorado a month ago. She said, "Can I borrow your car?" I said, "Yeah." You know, interestingly enough, she's got a brand new car and didn't want to put the miles on her car. But uh, I digress. Uh, but I said, yeah, it's, it's take it. And, you know, the cost per mile on that car is obviously much less expensive than a brand new car. But I said, take it. It doesn't bother me. I maintained the car. It had brand new tires on it. And she went out to Colorado and back and had not a flaw on the, on the vehicle at all, 205,000 miles. Hmm. 
So, you know, in our van, it's got over 200,000 miles. Uh, we took a 1,400-mile uh, trip in it uh, over Christmas time. I, I didn't blink an eye. It's just because it's been maintained the way it's supposed to be maintained, and I've got good guys looking after the car. Hmm. So, Now, you mentioned you've got good guys left, looking after the car, good guys working for you. I think you've said in the past that one of the reasons that you're so confident in your uh, establishment is because you have good people working there that have worked there for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're skilled. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Do you offer any kind of warranties for the Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, our warranty on parts and labor is two years, 24,000 miles. Now, in the industry, you can go out and get lesser expensive parts. Uh, the problem is our warranty wouldn't necessarily back those parts up. Uh, so we do uh, purchase quality parts for cars. Um, you know, there are times that we could save 10, 20 bucks on a car and get a sub, you know, a part, a part that's a little bit under, uh, under good part quality. Um, but I don't want to see my customer back in my door in three to six months. I, I, it doesn't, it's no offense to them. They completely understand. Um, and most reputable shops buy good quality parts. Um, but yeah, we, it's a, it's a good warranty. The industry generally is about 12 months, 12,000 miles. Uh, but we up the ante about a year ago and, you know, the parts are getting made better and they last longer and we have no problem sticking our neck out. I've got guys in my industry that do 336 and I've got guys that do lifetime, which I'm not a big fan of lifetime because, um, what they end up doing sometimes is they end up charging you for every part that goes on the car. So they make their revenue back somehow. Um, I'm not, I'm not convinced that's a straightforward ethical way of doing things. Um, cause it's not telling people the full picture, but there are people in our industry chains, things like that. that give lifetime warranties, but there's a catch to those lifetime warranties mm-hmm. always is. Well, do you do everything in terms of work on cars? Do you do transmission overhauls, uh, engine overhauls, all that kind of stuff? We do most everything. Uh, engine overhauls anymore are, are kind of a thing of the past. Um, it's pretty rare to see shops that do engine overhauls. Are they still around Peoria? Yes. Um, but it has gotten to the point that used engines and remanufactured engines are, are fairly affordable. Um, I put one in my car about four years ago are fairly affordable, and um, it just is not worth the labor time to basically disassemble an engine and rebuild it anymore. Um, unless you're hot rodding and, you know, doing rebuilds on older cars, it's generally not worth it. Um, it's a little more cost beneficial to just remove an engine. Now, for transmissions, I, I always portray that to our customers. as It's, it's artwork. Um, we've got a guy, a gentleman that we refer all of our customers to for any type of transmission, internal transmission repair. Um, he's out in Pioneer Park, a very ethical person, um, and he charges accordingly, of course, but it's it's intricate work getting inside of a transmission, all the hydraulics inside there and the electronics. Um, so we we refer all those out. So well, we do all everything else we do, exhaust work, brake work. Um, uh, very little exhaust work we refer out. Sometimes we do just be, from a cost standpoint. I had one the other day that was a, it was a thousands of dollar repair, and I have a friend in the business that does exhaust work, and I said, hey, can you help this guy out? Um, and he ended up saving him about $1,000 just because we had to buy the part um, from a manufacturer, and he was able to um, put a part on that he could install and build and install himself. So. There's a there's some advantage here, so I have no problem doing that. I think I always try to think, what would I want somebody doing for me? Um, and ultimately, we're we're attempting to look out for people's investment and look out for their wallet. So, a well, good deal. Now you mentioned your people are good people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is there a certification? We may have talked about this before, but I want to go through this again. There's a certification that you talked about in your book, the ASE certification. Mm-hmm. What is that? How do they get it? What does it mean? Um, it's a nonprofit organization in the automotive industry. Uh, it stands for Automotive Service Excellence. Um, essentially what it is, it's an accreditation uh, setting technicians apart from other technicians who don't have that accreditation. Is it mandatory in our industry, kind of like the you know the, the uh, medical industry? No, it is not mandatory. Um, you don't have to have it. Uh, we view it as uh, two benefits. Um, one, the customer knows that, hey, these guys are a little bit different than other shops that don't have this accreditation. So it, it sets you apart. Um, and then from a selfish standpoint, it sets us, sets us apart from a marketing uh, perspective that people know that uh, this shop is different and we can put up in our marquee that we have ASC techs or all of our marketing that we publish out that, that we have ASC techs. So um, we've, we actually have five active ASC technicians, um, and then I have one, two, three, four inactive ASC technicians. One, I'm not a technician at all. I'm ASC certified in the advisor realm. I've got Rick on my staff who's ASC certified in the mechanical realm, but he's one of my advisors, a very sharp individual. Um, My dad's certified. Um, And there's one other gentleman in the light duty um, arena that's certified. So, Um, But it's it's a good accreditation. But, again, it's not mandatory. It doesn't mean you're the greatest tech in the world because you have the accreditation. It's just a different – it's a set of testing is what they go through, online testing, to get this accreditation. So, is there um, continuing ed with that? Uh, there's there's uh, research that goes into taking these tests, uh, but as a side, there is continued edu- education that goes on, but it's not necessarily affiliated with the Automotive Service Excellence mm-hmm. Organization. So, so as new stuff comes out, new technology, it seems like cars are really becoming technological. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like driving a computer almost mm-hmm. anymore. It's not your grandfather's car. No, <laughs> and of course they have to keep up with that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have to keep up with it. Um, I do my best to share periodicals um, in the industry. I scan them and email them out to everybody so they can read it. You know, one of the things that came up and and here is in, by the year 2019, every car has to be equipped with a sensor system that essentially the cars are going to be able to talk to other cars and know what's coming at intersections. They will even have the ability to talk to smartphones. So if you've got a guy that's walking across the street looking at a smartphone, the, your car's computer is going to pick up on this guy that's not supposed to be in your way, and the car is going to essentially stop for this, this person walking across the street. Um, I, in my personal opinion, I think it's a lot of that's common sense oriented, um, but that's the way it's going to be. The government's going to mandate it, and from a, a good standpoint, from the positive standpoint, you know we're going to have better technology on the cars, there's going to be increased safety. Generally speaking, the numbers are going to be there. But the downside is it just adds to that. You know, I gave you that number of $33,189. It's going to add to that ticket at the end of the year, the, the average cost of the car. That's really what it boils down to. So I'm just giving you the, the basics. I'm not – I'm a pro or against it. Um, uh, but essentially this is what goes on when you start adding tire pressure sensor technology and you know the sensor technology that's coming up it just adds to the cost of the car so it really further pushes people to go keep your car as long as you can keep it as long as you can because mm-hmm. we have to remember it's still a tool and not a status symbol mm-hmm. so the cost just uh, is just amazing i remember when i graduated from college 1975 mm-hmm. shows how old i am mm-hmm. uh, i bought my first new car a datsun b210 
Remember wow. those? <laughs> I remember those. Basic car, basic, basic car, four wheels, engine, steering wheel, no air conditioning, no radio, nothing. 3500 bucks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I mean, amenities on cars are really cool. Um, they help the salespeople sell the cars, but $3,300 to $33,000 in a matter of, you know, 40 years, hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty aggressive uh, inflation rate. Yeah, wow. So, but... It is what it is. <laughs> well, in your book, I noticed there are a series of acronyms that you mentioned that, that people probably should be aware of, not mm-hmm. that they have to understand them, but just to know what they are. And I thought we might just go through a few of them just to to, to make sure. sure everybody knows what they are. What is body control module? A body control module essentially is one of the computers of the car that helps manage operations in certain sectors of the vehicle. So that we call it a BCM. There's also an ECM. Um, there's literally multiple computers on the car, but they they all talk to each other. They all communicate. They make adjustments. Engines make adjustments. Um, but it's it's necessary on vehicles. You're not going to get away from it. But the the pro side of that is the beneficial side is you get cars that run more efficiently um, and get better fuel mileage um, and operate better. So and they're more reliable. Believe it or not, they're more they're much more reliable than what they used to be. Um, now, your Datsun truck was actually a pretty flawless vehicle. Not much went wrong with those, but there are other vehicles that came out in those years that were just horrendous. I, I just That's why I bought a Datsun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's why the Americans got beat in those years. So People might not, today might not remember the Datsuns. It became Nissan, right? Yes, they did. They became Nissans. But, yeah, I, I've still seen a couple of them out there driving on the, around the road, but, you know, it's people that probably they're not their main driver. So Yeah, and that car had a... Uh, Standard transmission. Yeah. 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 Four speed. Yeah, very common back then. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Okay. Difference between automatic transmission and standard transmission. What's the difference? Uh, what's Pros. the prevalence mm-hmm. of them? Uh, advantages, disadvantages of each one? So way back in the day, back in the, the Datsun days, um, clutches were rather inexpensive to install in cars. Um, and quite frankly, automatic transmissions were uh, a more expensive option on vehicles. So people looking to save money wanted to have because that was the original transmission of course was a clutch us having to manually shift the gears in the car um, but throughout the years automatic transmission technology where you don't have to shift it that has improved so much and these these transmissions have become such good quality that you don't have to repair or replace them like you used to so the the pros cons um you know the automatic transmissions you, you service them every hundred thousand miles give or take whatever you're your car owner's manual says to do, um, you know, very low maintenance, generally speaking, low repair, generally speaking, on automatic transmissions. Most cars come out with them anymore. There's very, you almost have to order a car specifically with a clutch um, or with a manual transmission. But the, the advantage of manual transmission is if you drive it correctly, in theory, you should get better fuel mileage. Um, now I think manual transmissions are fun and I don't drive it correctly when I drive a manual transmission and I, I very likely don't get better fuel mileage than an automatic transmission, but that's my personal opinion on them. But we very rarely do we replace clutches in cars anymore because there are so few out there. Um, and the other aspect of it, clutches can go anywhere from 400 to $1,200 to replace. And that's a chunk of change. You know, new transmission anymore is about three to $4,000, $4,500, that very rarely fails. So the, the pure economics have taken over 
And, you know, the, really the people that drive clutches do it for fun or do it for the principle of having a clutch and them wanting to shift transmissions themselves. And being in control. And being, uh, being in a little better control. Mm-hmm. Um, the one nice thing about clutches is when you're driving in snow, you disengage that transmission. There's an advantage to that when you disengage the transmission because you, you lose that drive to the wheels and it doesn't become a drag. So you let your brakes do the work and your driving technique do the work. So you mentioned uh, one of the dis- the advantages supposedly over a manual of a manual transmission over automatic transmission was fuel mileage. And I remember that mm-hmm. I, I used to have manual transmission transmissions all the time. Correct. And one of the my one of my reasonings was fuel economy. Yes. I was big into fuel economy. Mm-hmm. Still am. But uh, you're saying that difference is is reduced now. It, it is reduced because automatic transmissions run more efficiently. They operate more efficiently, not run, but they operate more efficiently. Um, and the gears are shifted at, you know, it's all computer timed, you know, when they shift, um, they're shifting at different, um, RPMs at much more efficient RPMs. Um, so that, that is part of it. Um, but manuals, generally speaking, if you can drive them right, you, 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 you can beat the automatic transmissions when it comes to. What difference are we talking about roughly in, in theory? Honestly, I don't know the number. Um, but I know just from the theory behind the fact of, you know, when you shift and shifting gently and, you know, dropping off the RPMs when you shift and not being aggressive on your, your acceleration, you know, I don't know if it's 2% or 5% or what the, what the number is, but generally people buy them anymore from a performance standpoint. They don't buy them for fuel efficiency. Mm-hmm. So, But that raises another interesting question in my mind, cruise control mm-hmm. versus not cruise control. You know, when, when I'm out driving and I'm not on cruise control and I'm going up a hill, I can control how how quickly i accelerate decelerate and so forth but the cruise control at least the ones i've had when it decides to shift it downshifts and whoom it takes off and, exactly. and i always wonder what that does to my fuel economy versus not using right. the cruise control that's a great question because i've thought the same thing when i drive through the hills of wisconsin um, you're better off not being on cruise control and allowing yourself to back off the accelerator in a hilly uh, in a situation. hilly area and possibly losing a little bit of speed. But when you go in overdrive, obviously with the RPMs going up, you're going to have you know higher air intake and higher fuel intake. That's it's just it's basic physics that are going to occur. Um, generally speaking, cruise control you're going to get better mileage because a lot of people when they aren't on cruise control and you, you drive next to them on the interstate don't maintain their speed the way they should. And when you constantly go up and down, up and down, that uses more fuel. Uh, much better to maintain a speed than it is to go up and down and do as you please. Well, so, you're not in San Francisco. Exactly. Up and down, up and down, exactly. up and down. Exactly. Hmm. Now, what about turbochargers? Speaking of, of that, it kind of reminds yeah, me of turbochargers. Um, do most cars have turbos these days? No, not most cars don't have them. Um, it's a neat system. I mean, they've they've improved the technology tremendously. But essentially what it does is it forces air through the engine um, in an artificial way. And essentially when you force air and fuel into the engine like that, rather than uh, using atmospheric pressure. Um, it compresses the air? Yes, and mm-hmm. you get better performance. And they're fun to drive, there's no doubt about it. But the turbos of the old were terrible because um, there's a lot of breakdowns that occurred on them. They were expensive when they broke down. Um, but they definitely improve the technology on turbos but very rare do you see them in cars anymore just because the four and six cylinders are producing such good horsepower um out of them you you generally don't need to invest in the turbo um in the vehicle and i I think turbo and i'm going to knock on the men a little bit is kind of a macho word in cars anyways and it that's 
really what sold the cars. So <laughs> I'm not saying if you're a macho guy, if you have turbo, I'm just saying that's really what sells them. Isn't there a song, macho, macho? Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah that's about turbos. Um, there's another acronym in your book, the CSS, Cooling System Service. Yes. Um, most vehicles, the engineers of cars still require what they call cooling, cooling system services or cooling system exchanges. Um, essentially what goes on with the antifreeze, it's coolant, antifreeze, same terminology. Um, it's a half and half mix, half water, half coolant. You actually have better temperature protection from a freeze standpoint with half coolant and half water than you do with 100% pure coolant, believe it or not. Interesting little chemistry tidbit. Why would that be? You know, I don't know. I can't explain the chemistry behind it, um, but I know I've read information that says, you know, pure coolant is, doesn't have the temperature protection that uh, half and half does. That's weird. Um, yeah, typically uh, half and half's got 35 to 45 below protection, sometimes up to 60 below, um, and straight coolant's like 15 or 20 degrees. I don't know the exact number, so really? it's not nearly as good as what you would think it is. Um, so what happens over time or mileage is that coolant, loses its anti-corrosion abilities, the chemical that's in there. And when that starts uh, being lost, you actually can increase the chances of uh, restriction of your heater core, which produces your heat inside the car. It's a little mini radiator or restricting your radiator itself. So the reason why we encourage people to stick to their owner's manual and perform their cooling system service is because we don't necessarily want the revenue of replacing a radiator for $600 versus a coolant flush of $129 or $139. Um, it's a very wise long-term investment when you have this performed on your car. Just, you know, really what it boils down to is follow your owner's manual, do what it says to do. Um, now, there are a few, there's a handful of companies out there that don't require coolant flushes. Um, Volkswagen's, generally speaking, one of them. Um, I can't explain to you scientifically why they don't. We adhere to it, and we see very few Volkswagens with radiator and heater core failures. So it's an interesting dynamic, but um, and it's just an anecdotal opinion from my little you know automotive shop that I see uh, that you just see very few cooling system problems with Volkswagens, and they don't even flush them. So I don't know if their their metal inside their system is a little different, or how they coat them, or if their coolant's any different. Um, but and I'm not giving a plug to Volkswagen. It's just it's just different. But most cars want their coolant. Most engineers of vehicles want their coolant flushed out of them. So your, your client base probably is a mix between people who come to you all the time and people who just stop in once in a while. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious to know, how often do you see people come in that have some problem that could have been avoided if they would have followed the owner's manual? Uh, it's pretty rare anymore because we really, really have – enforce the education aspect of our customers and teaching them why they're doing things. And we're still trying to get better every day, of course. Um, it's, it's a daily quest to go, here's why you do this and here's why you do that. Um, but it's, it's really, really rare to see breakdowns because, and I can't sit there and go, there's, there's very few times I can sit there and say, I can told, I told you so. Um, because our taking, our customers are taking it to heart to go, okay, I want to keep my car 250,000 miles. These guys are my advocate. They're my partner, and they're going to take me to 250 plus, and I won't have car payments. And do, I just... do car dealers, service departments do that? I shouldn't ask that question. I would hope. I would <laughs> think they do. Um, you know, obviously they have a different ulterior motive from the sales side because, you know, part of their deal is they want to get people into new cars. Of course, um, I'd. 
probably do the same thing if I were in their position. No, you wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but I, I would hope they do. Um, but I don't. I don't know. I know a lot of service advisors in the dealerships personally, but I don't. I don't know their philosophies. I've talked to a couple of them that, you know, they they have certain packages they sell, and some of them don't sell them just because they don't believe in them. Um, but I think for the most part, dealerships are great people. They mean well, um, but I don't know their philosophy behind. Are they seeking two hundred fifty thousand miles? Mm-hmm. Right, right. All right, it's happened again. We have taken another half hour of uh, car questions and car thoughts. So appreciate everybody spending some time with us. This has been the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Fantastic. Thanks, Greg. PeoriaLife.com.